0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor & Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed.
1: Jim in Granberry. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. Question on on modular homes. I I just heard you
2: talking about the scarcity of contractors and the scarcity of building materials. It's going to be due to all the rebuilding that's going on. If we're looking to move in a couple of, well, maybe even a, a year in the, in the town, we're looking at going up around Abilene, and the housing market up there is just incredibly tight. So if we wanted to build a home, it would take a lot longer than it normally would. So we're considering or thinking about looking at some modular homes. What's your take on modular homes?
1: Actually, I've looked at modular homes before, and, uh, you know, you need to hunt around and make sure you get one that's that's really built well because there are some really junk uh, modular homes or really what would be called a mobile home, uh, yeah, and not, then I'm there are some about, modular I'm homes. About, yeah, I'm talking about. I, I know. I'm explaining not. to. Uh, okay. I'm ta- I'm explaining to everybody else though what the difference is. Okay. Modular homes are built in a factory to the same specs that you would build a house out on a piece of property for it's just moved in 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 pieces put together there on the property and you know as long as you get one that has that is well assembled you know 16 inch on center studs and all that kind of stuff regular two by four studs don't not the two by threes and things like that they're actually very good Uh, and if you're gonna go with a true modular You'll have one that, you know, sits down on a regular foundation, not on right. skids where they remove the tires.
2: Right. That's the plan is to go in and build the foundation and then and then just, you know, take a true modular home and they bring it in yep. sections and they set it down and then they they put it all, you know I wanna say bolt it all together, but that's not exactly correct. But they
1: It's they, not exactly but that that is kinda of how they word it as well. And I gotta be honest, I'm really surprised that the modular homes have not caught on better in the country than they have. I mean, so many people go with mobile homes and stuff, and and the modular home runs in the same ballpark price-wise, but you've got such uh, such a better product when it's finished. It is the same as a regular stick-built house on site. Yeah, that's
2: what I'm. That's what I'm seeing. And and our plan was to actually go tour a couple of. Uh modular home builders here in texas i know there's one outside of Taylor and then there's one in the uh, central texas area so we were actually going to go take some time and drive down there and, and look at them and you know inspect them and see if that's what we want but we just yep. think you know if we can get a house built in six to eight weeks as opposed to six to eight months that's going to be a lot better um
1: there yep absolutely
2: okay well, I will well, give uh, your window contract a call on Monday, and I sure do appreciate the help and love
1: the show. Thank you, Tim, and you have a great weekend. All
2: right. Take care.
1: Now, we have spent the last few weeks talking about flood damage, and I had an email come in uh, that kind of – this just actually came in yesterday evening at 5 o'clock. House set in water for excess of 48 hours – Now cracks are showing in concrete, sheetrock, doors, and cabinets are hanging up. Even my pool deck has cracked and is dropping two inches in areas. So, is this something my homeowners and or flood insurance may cover and your company can fix? Well, let's talk about will they cover it and what's going on. Now, obviously, when you have water... You can have damage, no question about it. I think the doors, the uh, sheetrock damage, uh, you know, the, uh, not sheetrock damage, but the, the cabinet doors and the doors sticking and not working properly, absolutely are probably related to the water. Wood expands as it gets wet. The cracks in the concrete more than likely were already there. And you may have had a little bit of movement from the soil swelling and getting wet that way because the soil, when it dries out, shrinks. When it gets wet, it expands. And if you had the water sitting on the soil for 48 hours, here's a number to, to keep in mind. If you're on the black gumbo clay soil, it will only absorb an eighth of an inch an hour. And I can tell you, we went out digging holes the week after the water was receding I shouldn't say the week after it. It was the following week. I mean, we were out digging holes as soon as roads and stuff were being opened up, and we were digging down about 12 inches and hitting dry soil. A lot of the water did not soak deep down and expand the soils, because the expansive soils will reach down five, six, seven feet. Uh, and it's not that the the soils not expansive deeper down. It's just that the weight of the soil itself gets so heavy it won't pick the structure up beyond that it won't even pick the soil itself up beyond that it just doesn't have enough uh lift to it to handle the weight of itself when when you go that deep so could the the uh flood be causing issues absolutely but probably not for the reason that a lot of people think and that's the movement of the soil what they have found and I'm not talking about from this flood but in doing home and concrete work and such it used to be that you always put a sand bed under concrete and they're trying to get contractors away from doing that now because the sand when it gets wet shifts and it's very likely that your home uh, most of the homes have sand under the foundation and especially around pool decks and things like that. And so as the soil, as that sand is shifting, you're moving the concrete. And so that's very likely what happened. Can it be fixed? Absolutely. Do you have a major problem? No. But do you have something that may be covered by insurance? If you have flood insurance, you may have coverage. I will tell you, I've uh, had several people talking to the Flood insurance people, and so far they're denying claims. That doesn't mean you can't get it through. You may end up getting a public adjuster. If you can show that you didn't have the damage prior, uh, that's going to be hard pressed to do. Homeowners is not going to cover it at all, though. And in most, uh, and I'm going to say it this way, in most every case, this will be up to the homeowner. Unless you can show, like I was just talking about, that the water came up and somehow moved the sand under the concrete and caused the problem, then you have a case to present to your flood insurance company. We're going to go to uh, Mike. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement.
3: Hey, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Hey, uh, my mom's house flooded out in Houston, and uh, we got a bunch of work. We got to do roof and sheetrock, but foundation has to be replaced or I mean fixed first rather and um, i got a couple of guys that came and quoted it i've got like a two, two to three inch uh, drop on around the edges so it doesn't uh-huh. look like i need any piers inside but i got two companies giving me two different quotes one guy he said oh, i need 30 piers and the other guy said 48, and they're giving me the same price. So, uh, I mean, this is a about a 1,200 square foot house. I'm trying to, I guess my question is I'm thinking the guy telling me 50 piers is, I don't know, he's telling me too many. Of course, he's doing them cheaper. So, yeah. What, what do you think about well. that? Well,.
1: Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there looking at houses who don't know what the heck they're doing. Uh, And they're not willing to learn. And, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but me and my brother own Due West Foundation Repair. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. I went out to a little 1,200-square-foot house with an estimator one time who um, just—we have a three-month training. Eddie!
4: I'm wondering if there is uh, some type of a book— about building I know absolutely nothing about building but it seems talking to friends that uh, there's been a lot of mistakes made in some of their houses air-conditioned mistakes, framing mistakes, concrete mistakes and I'd like to build a house but I want to know what I'm looking at okay so is there a course to take or a book to read or a video to watch
1: well there are courses that you can take uh, check with the houston community college they're one of the places where they offer different courses where people can learn things the problem is most of the time the courses are isolated to one piece of the puzzle right you know, they don't there's not really courses offering a, a, an overall view of what you're doing if you're looking at building a house yes what you may want to consider instead of spending months and months going to courses is hire yourself an inspector to go out there and check on the home as it's being built.
4: Okay. And Uh, that
1: way they can catch a lot of the stuff. The city does inspections and things like that, but they're there checking safety and, you know, uh, in some cases, uh, some code, you know, energy codes and stuff, but they're really not checking detail stuff that a regular home inspector would go out and check for you
4: if i if I hired a, a reputable builder then I wouldn't need a inspector is that
1: correct that is correct if you're going to do a custom home right if you're doing right. a track home i mean they're they're coming in so fast and putting them up that's where things get missed and i I'll, I'll give you an example my son built the house. Uh, last year, and he, he got moved into it just before Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, they even sheetrocked over electrical outlets and stuff. He had to go back and say, hey, th- there was a plug here. You guys need to open this up.
4: Huh. Well, that's the kind of thing I, I need to learn or or be aware of, because uh, I'd like to build my own home, or at least be there as the inspector to, to catch some of these
1: things. Sure. Yeah, and... and you know, if you want to do it yourself, and I don't mean do the work yourself, but right. you know, kind of build your own home, Right. Uh, there, there are organizations like uh, You Build It and places like that okay. that you can go through their courses. They have contractors that you can hire uh, to, to do the work, but it gives you the ability to be there, see what's going on, schedule the next step, make changes on the house as you want. It really puts all the control in your hands. That's what I'd like to do. You build it, owner-builder network, uh, that's two of them that are out there doing that kind of thing.
4: Great. I appreciate it, Jim. You bet. Take care. All
1: right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Paulette. Hello. Hello, Paulette.
5: Uh, I'm so glad I'm able to talk to you. This has been bothering me for some time. Uh, we have a cement slab. The house was built in 1974. There is a white powder, real fine white powder, coming up. Yep. It's even coming up underneath the linoleum, and it makes it's making little heels. What what's wrong, and what can we do to correct that?
1: You're having an efflorescence problem, uh, and you can basically, like if it comes up on the concrete, you're able to sweep it away. It uh, and it kind of looks like cotton candy when it comes up, correct?
5: Um, At first I thought it was something from termites because it's such a fine powder. It's a white powder.
1: Oh, a white powder. Okay. Yeah.
5: It's real fine. You you could blow
1: it. Yep. That is normally caused by a chemical reaction in the mix from the concrete when the house was built. And how long has this been coming up?
5: Um, We've noticed it about four years now. And the, the house was built in 1974, so why did it wait yep. so long to happen?
1: Because I'm thinking that something changed in the moisture content under the home. Uh, normally what activates it is the moisture coming up through the concrete, uh-huh. gets in with the whatever was on the rock, uh, the Portland, anything like that that was mixed in with the concrete. Starts a chemical reaction when that moisture gets to it, and and allows it to come through. Efflorescence is caused by the same thing, but it normally comes through looking different on the top. Mm-hmm. So what you need to look at is what outside the home is there some place that is puddling water, anything like that, or is there possibly some sewer leaks under the home that's putting moisture in the soil that could be causing this problem.
5: Mhm- uh-huh. okay so and does it is it bad for the structure no okay
1: so uh um, no it's it's not gonna hurt the structure at all, but uh if it is being caused by sewer leaks under the home, that could be bad for the structures right. so I would have a static test on on the sewer system
5: how how do you how do you go about doing that?
1: A plumber comes out, and he blocks the drain lines where they exit the house, fills the entire system with water to see if it holds. And if there's a break, the water levels will drop. Then they can isolate. And you said your house was built in 70 what?
5: 74.
1: Uh, In Pearland, 72 to 74 is when they switched if I remember right, that's when they switched from cast iron to PVC. So you should have PVC drain lines under the home more than I believe than we do,
5: and, and we weren't in the yeah. city. We were not in the city, and we're still not in the city. Okay. So the, there was no city inspection. We just tried to pick our the best builder that we could. Yeah. He had a really good reputation with everybody else. So. Um. Well, Paulette,
1: if if you want to call my office due west. okay. Uh, We have plumbers who, you know, that's all they do is go out and do uh, static tests and isolation testing. And we can tell you if there's a leak underneath there. Uh, The other thing that needs to be looked at, like I was saying, is if there's areas that are now pocketing water around the house when it rains, because that could add to it as well. Yeah,
5: there is. Um,
1: That needs to be addressed.
5: Okay, okay.
1: And I actually, to be honest, would address that before addressing the uh, sewer line possibility.
5: Okay, and what is your phone number?
1: 7-1, uh,
5: 713-473-7156. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, check out the, the first, you know, first with the water standing around the house, because I know that yep. the house is sunk. It's not as high off the ground as it used to be.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and and quite honestly, we can look at that for you as well if you want to call, but uh, that's something that's pretty easy to get looked at.
5: Okay, well, I'll call your office and and see what we're we're talking about money-wise, and (laughs) if I can do it.
1: Not a problem. At least
5: least, uh, my concern has been that I don't want the house to start falling apart because if it's chalky stuff coming around uh, on the floor, then what is it doing underneath the studs? And that's been my main concern.
1: It's doing it there as well, but it, it won't cause any problems with the studs. Okay. Okay?
5: Okay. Thank you so much for taking my you're call and, and for y'all's uh, information on the radio. I listen to it every time I get in the car when you're on.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
5: You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Of course, that we put our guys through. And then they ride with other estimators for typically another three months. So it's a lot of times six months before they're allowed to do their first bid by themselves. And we had this one guy, he just insisted he could do this. He was, he knew what he was doing. And uh, he just plain would not listen to the guys trying to train him. And so I took him out. We went over to to do this estimate. And he goes up to the door and he knocks ten times. He says, that's ten knocks. That's to, to get their attention. Uh... Lady answers the door. He goes and sits at the table, and he actually draws the house, puts all the piers on it and everything, sitting at the kitchen table. And one of the first things we teach everybody is, you can't do diddly sitting at the table. you got to walk around the house. you got to visually look at everything, take elevations, draw the house out in detail and all this stuff. So I let him go through the entire process, and he came up with some ridiculous number Of like thirty three thousand dollars on this little bitty house I let him go through the whole thing and and honestly the homeowner was sitting there and she's in tears at this point I finally said okay are you done he says yeah I took the estimate I tore it up in front of him and I said ma'am let me do this the way it's supposed to be and the bid was like twelve thousand dollars to fix her house properly. And I promptly took him back to the office and got rid of him. And unfortunately, there's a lot of guys in this industry who just plain don't know what they're doing.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: And That's it's a service. Yeah. Well, you know, just, just because one company is selling, and I'll, I'll throw real numbers out there, you're, you're going to find some companies selling peers for 275 and $300. And you're going to find other companies selling peers for five hundred and thirty-five dollars, mm-hmm. it is not the same service. The thing that makes a big difference is how deep are they going to go? A lot of these companies who sell the real cheap piers, they'll drive something in the ground that will begin to lift the house. They call it done. They they can level the house if they get out of there, but a year later, it needs to be leveled again.
3: Yeah, I don't want that. How and how and deep? that's
1: that's the big problem.
3: Yeah. So this is South Houston. I know you're not at the house, but on average, how deep do they usually have to go? Ten foot. In
1: South Houston, it's not unusual to have to go 25 to 35 feet. Oh wow! And it'll depend on if it's a brick-sided house or a wood-sided house. It's brick. Yeah, you're you're looking at probably 30 feet or so. All right. Not saying that it does it on all of them, but that's. That's yeah. a, a a pretty common thing and if you haven't had Due West out yet, call us and let us take a look at it. Yeah, we're just down I'm, the street do in Pasadena.
3: Well, one of the guys that came out, he told me he used to work for you, so maybe that was the guy, but uh I wasn't <laughs> <a friend. laughs> Yeah. But I got one other real quick, easy question for you if you got a moment. Okay. Uh sure. We're we're redoing the, the roof and we got probably at least half the decking we gotta redo it somebody gave me a whole bunch of free three-quarter inch plywood can i use that or is it too heavy
1: it's not that it's too heavy but if you're only doing part of the roof you got to find out what the other part has on it yeah Uh, otherwise you got to replace that whole side of the house
3: yeah so if i do just i'm thinking if if i just do one section in three-quarter and Like, some of it's okay. It's half inch. I may be all right with that. As long as the half
1: inch and the three quarter aren't buttoned up against each other anywhere, you can do it.
3: Yeah, I've got plenty of ridges, so I could just, they could meet each other at the ridge.
1: Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that.
3: All right. Well, I appreciate it.
1: You bet. You take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Yeah, you can't have the two different size boards meeting where you're going to have an elevation drop, but if you're meeting on the ridges and stuff, you're fine to do that. Tony.
0: Yes, sir. I got a couple questions for you. If you can help me out.
1: The, uh, okay. The
0: gap between a slab or the foundation and, like, a patio slab, I've got that material is rotted out in between the, the two, and I'm wondering the best way to seal that back up so the water doesn't get, you know, underneath that back slab and everything.
1: Uh, they actually make some synthetics that you can put in there uh, that comes in a caulking tube. Okay. And it would seal it up and and where you don't have to worry about it. Is there any material left in there to act as a base?
0: Not really. And you talk in almost a gap of about an inch wide, so I don't know if I should you know how much of that caulk I would need if there was something to fill in oh, yeah. and maybe pop well, over you- it.
1: Well, what, you, what, yeah, what you do is uh, since you got such a wide gap, uh, get you some of those styrofoam rope, Okay. and you pack it down in there, get it up to within about a half inch of the top, okay, and then you just fill that last half inch with that rubberized sealer.
0: Okay, and that you have an idea what that sealer is, or is it just going to be in, um, I guess, any box, box store uh yeah all
1: the box stores carry it and actually it comes in whether you want to use a regular size caulking gun or the really large tubes okay and uh you know the i don't know how how long a gap is it i mean it's a it's an Uh, inch wide but
0: eight ten feet
1: okay yeah yeah the regular tubes then would be fine and uh it'll definitely take care of that with no problem and it the thing you're going to want to watch, don't have any material that sticks up higher than the concrete because that stuff, when you put it in there, it levels itself out very nicely and it, it actually gives you a, a very nice finished look there.
0: Got you. Uh, other real quick question around the caulking on the outdoors of the windows. is kind of starting to crack in areas. Can I yes caulk over that or do I have to cut that out and then re-caulk?
1: Uh, Clean up and take out anything that's loose and cracking and breaking. It's and just then, small, small and little, little hairline hairline and
0: stuff that are starting to look like it's, drying yeah, it's up a little bit.
1: Yeah, and in a lot of cases, you don't have a lot of cleanup to do. You, you go in with like a, a screwdriver and scrape out anything that's loose, and then you're ready to go ahead and caulk over it.
0: All right, sir. I appreciate your help. You All
1: Well, you have a great weekend. Uh. Can... Bye. And, you know, that's just one of those things that you've got to do periodically in order to maintain your property is, is re-caulk around the windows. A lot of times people uh, fail to do that, and, oh, you'll just get massive amounts of air infiltration through that. Not to mention you can get moisture going into the wall that way as well. So, you know, you ought to be checking around the windows at least at minimum at least once a year, uh, and really twice a year. And, and that way you can see when these things start happening. Barbara, how can I help you?
6: Oh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a odd situation. I'm finally doing a clean-out, and I have a metal storage unit building in my backyard that I've had some boxes packed in it for several years. And I just took the lock off and tried to open the doors. The doors are sliding doors. Okay. And I guess some of the cardboard boxes have, you know, with the moisture and everything, probably expanded or what have you. And I can't open the doors. And I didn't know. They, they slide on like a right. hinge across the bottom.
1: This is like one of those little 8x8 or 10x10. Exactly. Yeah,
6: Yeah. just a metal unit that you buy at Home Depot or Lowe's. Yep. Put it up now, yourself.
1: can you push on the door and feel that there's boxes against it, or is it possible can, that it's yeah, just rusted shut? Yeah, I can shut?
6: feel, and I've got it open about a half an inch, and I can see everything leaning against the door, so I'm sure it's, you know, back along the, yeah. uh, the runner that I need to. Okay. used to open the door.
1: Well normally the runner's on the outside. The, the, no,
6: Yeah mine's on the inside of the unit so the doors okay. when they open they slide in to, into the inside of the unit.
1: Okay and both sides have the same problem right? Correct. Mm. Yes. You know I my, my first inclination been, would be to try because typically the way they're put on is you got to pick it up it latches in and then drops down into place so my first inclination would be to try to pick it up and move it that way but that's not going to work because you got to be able to tip it to where those boxes are sitting so i I gotta tell you I, i think your easiest bet on this is it this is a metal one, correct?
6: Correct. It is metal. Aluminum metal, metal. Yeah.
1: Sheet metal screws are on the outside?
6: Correct. Yes.
1: Okay. Take some of the sheet metal screws off, remove one panel and that'll give you access inside.
6: And then I can push either yeah. push something back or pull something out. Yep. Okay, that's what I, I was afraid
1: of. I, I think that's going to be your only solution to get in there. Because if you th- those, those, those metal storage sheds are so lightweight that if you start trying to force that door open, you're just going to bend it.
6: Exactly, and then I'll have nothing.
1: Yeah. So remove yeah. some of the sheet metal screws, get one of the panels out, and it, it, you, you probably won't have to remove more than six or eight screws. Yeah,
6: because they're just... They're like across the top, and then there's yep. a middle panel, and then the bottom. There's just like three rows. Yeah. Okay, that's what I think, kind of figured, but I do know if you had some magical, easier way.
1: No, the only other way would be to pick the front of the thing up to tip the boxes back, but then they may go through the back wall, and you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate You're welcome, Barbara. Good luck with that. Got a question that did come in yesterday evening. Hello, Mr. Dutton. I have several questions regarding the subject above and its structural issues. I brought or I bought it actually should be a foreclosure in Fresno. And during the inspection, the inspector stated that the house had a structural issue. Well, I bought it anyway, and now the structural issues damage is starting to show. My first question is can a structural issue be determined as opposed to a foundation issue? Well, I hate to tell you this, but a foundation issue is actually a structural issue. Now, the soil typically is what causes foundation issues. The soil dries out, it shrinks a corner or half the house or whatever will settle down. You get the soil wet, though, a lot of times it'll come back up. It's when we let it go too long that the soil can't swell enough to pick it back up that it becomes truly a structural issue that has to be taken care of with peers when you underpin a home with peers it is a structural change to that foundation and hence to that home because it's no longer a normal foundation is what's called a floating or on a slab anyways is called a floating slab and basically it just sits on the surface of the soil and floats when once you underpin a section of it that section is no longer a floating foundation because the soils can move up and down without moving the foundation block and base pier and beam yeah they they're still sitting on active soils because typically you're just underpinning they're not underpinning you're you're shimming off on top of what's already there and so it's going to move again in the future a slab though you're typically going deep down in the ground to try to stabilize it. So there is a difference. Now, what a lot of people don't realize, not all structural issues are foundation-related. If you've got inadequate bracing in the attic, it can cause cracks in the walls. If the uh, somebody cut for some reason some of the studs or there's many different things that can happen uh, termites get in eat away some of the sill plates and walls start dropping that can be a structural issue unrelated to a foundation issue so not all structural problems are foundation related and can you figure out and tell the difference absolutely you gotta know what you're doing but yes it can second question is how can a homeowner exercise the lifetime warranty and a foundation repair If the company is no longer in business, you can't. Those lifetime warranties that foundation repair companies offer are only as good as the company who is offering them. And I know there's a couple companies who offer these uh, sideline warranties or uh, a third-party company is going to step in if something happens. They are very, very limited. In one case, if the company goes out of business, I can guarantee you the warranty fund is going to go with it. In the other case, because I only know of two that are offering these type of things, in the other case, it's a third-party company, insurance company, but it's very limited on what they will cover, and there's a lot of hoops to jump through. So in most cases, I won't say every case, but most cases, Your warranty is only as good as the company you're hiring. So you need to be careful when hiring a foundation company. You're not just paying for peers. You're paying for a service, and you're paying for, like in this case, a lifetime warranty that's only as good as the company who's offering it. So it's buyer beware because Texas has zero regulations on these type of things. Uh, Not that they shouldn't. But we just don't have it. And I hate to say this, but I can guarantee you down in Houston with all the flooding, there are going to be contractors coming out of the woodwork that will be ripping people off because there is no regulations to it. Brian, how can I help you? Good afternoon,
4: sir. Um, uh, Quick question. So we uh, recently had a remodel before we bought the house. Um, And now that the foundation work has been done, some of the tiles have popped up. We have no idea um, what the, uh, the name of the tile is or anything else. We're trying to match up. We're, how, how, what's the best way to find a match of that tile?
1: Any idea how old a tile it is? Um, it's probably about uh,
4: a year old. It's pretty new. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we salvaged all the tile, but, you know, there's, there's all the work underneath it. Yeah. Um, so.
1: Okay. Take one of the tiles and take it into floor and decor. And go to their uh, designer counter okay. uh, and talk with them because they may be able to recognize it to order a tile like that to match okay. and they got they got a huge selection of tiles there so they maybe even have the match there but if not they can maybe tell who the manufacturer is and, and be able to order some for you. David you're awesome as always thank you very much. Uh, thank you sir Brian you have a great afternoon. Hello James. Jim, how are you? Wonderful.
4: Perfect. Um, we bought a house uh, a few months ago, and I believe the, you know, the exhaust in the kitchen where the range is, yeah. um, it, I believe it's like a recirculating sort of deal. Okay. Um, I was just wondering whether or not it would be a good idea to maybe have it redone or rerouted to the outside
1: absolutely Uh, you know and and you can tell for sure if it's a recirculating one or not because if there's air blowing back inside out the top where the louvers are it's recirculating is this a is this one that's in the microwave Mm -hmm. or is it a a separate hood
4: Uh, microwave
1: okay on the top of the microwave ones what you have to do is take it off the wall on the top there's a plate that gets removed Mm -hmm and you, you end up putting basically a funnel-like thing there that uh, pushes the air up into a pipe and then you take it outside. Is this a one-story or two-story house?
0: It's a two-story house.
1: And I'm, I'm is there a way, I'm assuming the second floor is above where the kitchen is, where the microwave is, correct? Yes, sir, it's, uh, there's like a bedroom. That's right okay, so you got a choice here. You can go up and out the sidewall, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, You just have to have somebody there who knows how to uh, flash it properly so you don't get water coming in the wall uh, because there's really no way for you to take it all the way up to the attic. And this is for everybody listening. If you're in a one-story house, take it up in the attic, run a a pipe over to the eave and drop it out in a soffit vent. Uh, that that's very easy to vent out the kitchen, but when you're in a one store, two story, you don't have that option to go all the way up. So you punch it through the wall, and uh, just flash it well, and you'll be just fine. Got it.
4: Is this something I should hire somebody for, or <laughs> attempt it DIY?
1: Yeah, well, how's your skill level? Uh, <laughs> um, beginner. You need to you need to get the pen out and hire somebody. Got you know, it. Doing the hole and, and taking it down and putting the funnel on it and all that—that's relatively easy. <laughs> the flashing to make sure it doesn't leak—that's the place where you where it could get complicated. Uh, so if you want to do the rest of it and then just bring somebody in to do the flashing, uh, that'll probably minimize your your expense. Perfect. Um, can I
4: have okay. one more question, if you don't mind?
1: If you can go
3: real quick, uh, sure.
4: We've got, we've got a brick house and, uh, you know, the wheat poles. Is there, yeah. I, I mean, is there a way to cover those, so little pests or things don't get inside?
1: Or
3: how does, is there anything?
4: Well, to, you
1: need to, if you you need to keep them open so that air can, you know, that fluke water when it goes through the brick can come out. But if you want to put something to keep bugs, and, and I'm going to tell you, the bugs will still find a way. But if you want to put something there, you can put steel wool in there. And, and and it keeps anything that wants to crawl through there from doing it yet it still allows the moisture to travel through
2: I'm sorry did you say steel wool
1: I did
4: Okay because that the that's the stuff that you you like wash your
1: pans pots with, and right? pans with yeah Yep Got it
4: perfect Oh awesome thank you Jim thank you very much
1: You bet take care And uh you know there's there's a lot of things you can do but don't close up the weep holes Your home has to have them. Uh, Down in Houston, a lot of people were, oh, I got water in my house because it came in through the weep holes. No, it came in through the walls. Your walls are not waterproof. The weep holes lets the moisture that runs down the backside of the brick back out. You don't see it, though, because the only time it's happening is when it's raining and you're already, you know, seeing wet walls and everything.